three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Utley is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Sports Talk Chicago. My name's John Zaglul. Great to have you here. Today's edition of the program to the Bears trade for Brandon Cooks. We'll break it all down in just a second. Plus, a brand new interview today with Tony Adraki, the Cubs beat reporter for the Marquee Sports Network. We completely preview the Cubs season, talk about what they could do come 2022. It's a great interview, and it comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook. John's a glue. You can watch more of this show. Search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportsTalkChicago.com. I want to start today with this. Every week, I'm making one of these videos. (laughs) Everybody and their mother knows the Bears need wide receiving help. We all know Justin Fields has no weapons. How's he going to develop? It's a serious question. And every week, we hear new rumors. We hear reports. But nothing has really come to fruition yet. We don't know. The Bears did make some minor moves. They got Pringle. They got St. Brown, who I'm not really a fan of. And they have Darnell Mooney, who could be a number one, for all we know. Maybe next year he really stands out and proves it. But the fact is, right now, the Bears have no veteran wide receivers. Could be looking at the draft. Fine by me. I have no issue with that. But, believe it or not, there are still guys available. Haven't talked about this name as much as DK Metcalf is really taken over the wide receiving trade market, but the fact is Brandon Cooks is now also available. According to a report here from Bandsided, it's been reported in other outlets too, the Texans want a second-round pick to get Brandon Cooks. Interesting. I've always been a fan of Brandon Cooks. His whole career, I remember watching him in New Orleans, went to the Patriots, Rams, and Last year, Texans, last season, with Davis Mills, rookie quarterback, and Carter Tyron Taylor before he got hurt, still put up 1,000-plus yards. Proof to me it doesn't matter who the quarterback is, who the offensive planner, the offensive coordinator is, either. And if you look at Brandon Cooks and his numbers throughout his career, the guy always produces. No matter the scheme, no matter the coach, no matter the quarterback. I talked about with Allen Robinson before the Bears cut ties with him, There are very few wide receivers who don't have to worry or depend on a quarterback or a scheme or a team in general. There are very few that just straight up perform all the time. Those are your special players. 
When I look at Brandon Cooks, I see four different teams and I see 1,000-yard seasons with all four. He was in New England for one year, 1,000 yards. The Rams, 1,000 yards. New Orleans, and now Houston, two straight years. No to Sean Watson, either. Putting up those numbers in Houston with no to Sean Watson. So he's playing with Tyron Taylor and Davis Mills and whomever else started a game over there, putting up those numbers. That's impressive to me from an outsider looking at. I don't know how you could even do that. Put up a 1,000-plus yard without Deshaun Watson. Who the hell are you catching the ball from? <laughs> even in years past, too. New England had Tom Brady. We all know New England isn't really good for their wide receivers. They aren't known for that. He put up a 1,000 yards there. Jared Goff and the Rams, 1,000-plus yards. Drew Brees, too. There's a lot of good and a good career that comes with Brandon Cook. There are some issues, though, and that's the thing that's a bit scary. Right now for Cook, he's pretty much a one-year rental. He needs a new contract after this season. He's going to be 28, so if the Bears took him, traded for him, there's going to be a problem. So if the Bears took him or traded for him, they'd need to extend him and spend money on him, and he's going to be 29, 30 years old. Now, I don't see a problem with that in the short term if Cooks is able to stay healthy and produce. Veteran wide receiver, always known to be productive. Good guy on and off the field, too. You know, you never hear any drama about Cooks at all. You never hear anything in general about him. Very quiet, puts up good numbers, goes home. It's really it. The whole thing boils down to age, to value on the trade, and to cap situations and money. So pretty much everything. <laughs> but seriously, got a guy who's going to be 28, one-year rental. The Bears decided to trade for him. They'd give up a second-round pick, potentially. I think that's a bit too much, to be honest. But then you have him for this year, but you have to extend him. You have to pay him more money for ages 29, 30, 31, even older. And we don't know what he's going to do at that time, will he be healthy? Can he even produce as he gets older? So far, he's proven that, but as we know in the NFL, anything could happen. And I personally would be a little bit uncomfortable paying somebody a three- or four-year deal with lots of guaranteed money when you don't know what you're going to get. Here's the positive, though. The Bears have a ton of cap room next year. We've all talked about this a number of times. The Bears have tons of cap room, tons of money to spend. They don't have to pay him now, they have to pay him next year. I mean, it's a really interesting question, Brandon Cooks. You give up a second-round pick, you will be on the hook for a new contract for him. Probably going to have to pay him handsomely. He's getting older. See, my gut tells me, not a good idea, but we're not even looking at the positives that he brings. Number one, leader, veteran, WR1 guaranteed here in Chicago, 1,000-plus yards with other teams, still putting up numbers despite getting older. And all you have to do is trade a second-round pick and pay him, but you have cap space available. And the Bears could be good by 2023. Well, there's your better and wide receiver. That helps big time for Justin Fields. It's a complicated situation. And there's really no right or wrong answer, in my opinion. Either way, there are merits and there are problems with doing it. One of those rare moves in the NFL, really, where you could say there's good and there's bad to it, and we don't really know. 
We're not going to know till we could see him play and produce or lack the rub at age 30, 31. Can't predict the future, can't predict injuries or being out of the league, plain and simple. But it's a classic gamble. <laughs> it really is a gamble for Ryan Poles and for Bears management if they want to go through with this. Now, for next year's contract for Cooks, he's going to be owed $8 million. The Texans will eat up the rest of the cap salary, too. So what you're doing, essentially, you're giving up a second-round pick for a one-year rental with Brandon Cooks at $8 million, with the potential to extend him, but you have to pay him out of your own pocket based on cap space, based on what the market shows. It's going to be 29, 30, 31 years old. In the new window, you'll have to pay him. But you're going to be contending at that point. You need a veteran wide receiver. You need somebody to help you. Can't just rely on Darnell Mooney, and Brandon Cooks is a proven WR1 or WR2, depending on the team. And always puts up 1,000 yards regardless of the scheme, team, or quarterback. It's a complex question. And really, it all boils down to what we don't know, which is what is he going to do in a couple of years? Will he even be in the league anymore? Look, if I'm the Bears, this would be probably the riskiest move of the entire offseason. Everything's been low-key, low money, not a lot of fanfare or hype, and there's been, so far at least, an emphasis on the draft, according to Ryan Poles, and that's fine. You need young guys. But I will say this, when you're ready to contend next year, that's the plan or not, but maybe it is, you do need some veteran presence mixed in with younger guys. Can't just have a bunch of rookies with Justin Fields and say, yeah, we're ready to compete. Well, not really. <laughs> just a tough situation. It's a gamble. It really is a gamble for the Bears at this point. You don't know what you're going to get out of him. I mean, you do technically, but with age, that becomes the problem. The uncertainty arises from his age and from the money you may have to pay him, too. One year, $8 million for a second-round pick. He's a little bit overpriced, but if there's a guarantee that he will re-sign with you, if you could pay him maybe $10 million at most, $11 million, he could put up 1,000-plus yards every year, 900-plus yards every year, be a WR1 or a WR2, not a bad move at all. That would be a great signing for the Bears, and most importantly, for Justin Fields. Justin Fields needs weapons, needs a team around him, and that's the whole problem, even with this year for the Bears. This is a concern of mine. How can we accurately judge him if he has still nothing around him? If there are very few improvements made in the offensive line, if there are no wide receivers still, but Darnell Mooney and, okay, Byron Pringle, what are we doing here? How can we determine if he's good or not? How do we know? Look what happened this year. Rightfully so, bad coach, bad scheme, bad team around Justin Fields didn't work. We all know that. I did not blame Justin Fields for the problems that hurt him this year. But here's my question. How are we supposed to determine if he's so good, if he's so talented, if he really is the guy for the Bears, when a whole lot of the same thing's going to be happening this upcoming season? I know the Bears don't want to spend money. I know they're trying to save for next year, the years to come. They're trying to rebuild. But at the same time, you cannot accurately determine what Justin Fields is as a quarterback. If there's nothing around him again for year two, what are we going to do? Wait until year three, year four, year five, before even as a team, then accurately determined? Then what if he doesn't work out? Whole thing's a waste. 
I'm not saying the Bears need to go out and spend money. I've liked a lot of these shrewd moves from Ryan Poles, but the fact is when you look at the offense right now, not much has changed. Seriously, not much has changed. Talking about number three, number four, number five receivers being signed by the Bears, how's that going to help Justin Fields? Maybe he has a connection with Darnell Mooney, but what else? Nothing. And the offensive line, for the most part, is the same, too, right now. In fact, it's worse. They've lost guys. That's what bothers me. That's what really bothers me about judging and saying, this is the year to judge Justin Fields. Well, is it really? If there are no improvements, if there's nothing to show for what Ryan Poles did for him taking over, how can we say Justin Fields is better or worse? At that point, it's going to come down to, can he improve upon last year with a similar team? And if he does, then yes, maybe he has it in him. But what if Justin Fields does worse than last year? What if it's apparent that Justin Fields needs some sort of team, something, some sort of help, doesn't have it, does worse? Then what are we going to say? These are just big questions. Nothing more than that. And it's going to be on Ryan Poles' shoulders and Matt Eberflus, Luke Getze, to try and get this thing right for him. What have we heard for pretty much months? Almost a year now. Justin Fields needs a team, needs a scheme, needs a coaching staff. That conforms to him. You want to be a successful quarterback in the NFL now? You need to have people who conform to you, not the other way around. Look at what Matt Nagy did. We've talked about this a number of times. Matt Nagy went through five different quarterbacks, all of them saying the same thing. They don't fit in his system. If you break up with different women, Five different women for the same reason? There's a problem with you, buddy. <laughs> Not somebody else. It's the same thing here. He went through Mitch Trubisky, Chase Daniel, Nick Foles, Andy Dalton, Justin Fields. Nothing worked. So yeah, it's a Matt Nagy problem. You need a team around you. You need a system that conforms to you. And I have my doubts right now about Justin Fields just for the fact that the Bears didn't make any big changes yet. Maybe they changed up the offense and maybe that'll work. Luke Getze. But what about personnel? Brandon Cooks would not be a bad move. I wouldn't criticize it at all. I think it would be a great move for the Bears, but are they willing to spend that money? Are they willing to take the gamble? Well, my gut says no, based on what's happened already. And that's fine. I get it. Maybe you don't like what you see in Brandon Cooks. I'm not telling you you have to do it. But what I'm saying is, don't come crying when Justin Fields has nothing around him and then we're wondering how to evaluate him. What are we going to say about him? Oh, he had a bad team again. Well, then we waste another year watching Justin Fields. We don't know what we're getting, what we're seeing. That's scary. That's pretty scary. I wish him all the best. Right now, still, the Bears have not put him in a good enough position to succeed. And that's being brutally honest, but that's the truth. I don't see enough to suggest that he's going to be great and he's looking much better. This team looks better. Look, there's been a new offensive coordinator, and I know Matt Nagy inflicted a lot of damage, but the fact is the personnel wasn't there either. There was no offensive line, and there really were no wide receivers but Darnell Mooney. And Alvin Robinson, who was sabotaged. We know this. So my hope is that the Bears do something when it comes to the wide receiving core. I know the offensive line is first. I know who cares about the wide receivers if you have half a second for the football. But if you're not going to say it's Brandon Cooks, and that's fine, then who will it be? 
Hopefully, there will be movement in the draft, but honest question, who will it be? Can't just be Darnell Mooney and Pringle and St. Brown. It was a career-high 98 yards in a season. (laughs) There needs to be real talent around him. Something. And there's nothing right now. And unless that changes, you cannot tell me objectively, hey, Justin Fields is great or he's a bust. You can't tell me that. Not if he has the same team or a similar team or not much difference. We need to see real change from the Bears. If they go after Brandon Cooks, I'll be happy. If they don't, that's fine. But this is an opportunity for some real change. This is a proven wide receiver. You give up a second, maybe even a third-round pick, you could pull it off. One year, $8 million, and you can re-sign him if you'd like, if he does good. There's good and bad of the move. But hey, at least it provides Justin Fields with some sort of veteran. That's the one thing I hated about last year. Justin Fields, young quarterback, no help whatsoever. Why not give him a better and wide receiver? Why would Matt Nagy sabotage Allen Robinson? Imagine how beneficial it would have been if he had Darnell Mooney for sure, and then Allen Robinson, a proven vet, knows what he's doing, has seen success in the NFL. I just think it would be more comfortable. It would be an extra layer of protection for Justin Fields. If he had a wide receiver who's a veteran, who knows what he's doing, knows the league, knows the landscape, and can put up some decent numbers and serve really as a safety blanket. That's all. Safety net. When all goes wrong, when Darnell Mooney's going to be covered, hey, report to Brandon Cooks. Veteran, he knows how to go up and get the football. And he's proven it year in and year out with these numbers I'm looking at. I mean, from 2014 to 2021, he's been consistent. Very consistent. Eight years, almost 8,000 receiving yards. He averages 1,000 yards per year. Rookie year, he barely played, only at 500. And then the tough year with the Rams in 2019. Other than that, every year it's 1,000 yards, guaranteed. He's proven enough to everybody that he is a quality wide receiver, and he's very underrated. No one talks about him because he's not a diva. He doesn't go out and cause problems. He's very quiet. Like Allen Robinson, very quiet. Came out, did great, moved on. Went to different teams. Saw success with different coaches, different schemes, different quarterbacks. That's encouraging. That's a good sign if you're looking for a wide receiver. That's what I would do if I was a GM. Really, that's what I would do. I'd look and see, okay. Has he done this with other teams, other quarterbacks, other schemes, other coaches? Is it sustained success? And what's he bring right now to me? Well, I just came off a 1,000-yard season at 28 years old with Davis Mills. He has something left, obviously. So I think for the Bears and for Justin Fields' sake, more than anything, it wouldn't be stupid to pull the trigger. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Tony Adraki comes up next, so stay tuned. Sports Talk Chicago. Here for Jones and Lowell, and we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's the digital content manager and Chicago Cubs reporter for the Marquee Sports Network, Please welcome Tony and Dracky to the program. Tony, it's great to have you on. How are you? Hey, doing well. It's great to be on again. What's your evaluation of the Cubs offseason, first off? 
A lot. Um, you know, I, I think that's that's really the way you look at it. I believe last I checked or last I knew they had the most free agent signings of any team in Major League Baseball um, by a few. I, I think um, it was like 14 or 15, whatever they ended up with. Um, so, yeah, so they, they obviously had a lot to do. And we knew that at the end of the 2021 season, Jed Hoyer said they were going to be active in free agency and he was not kidding around. Um, so they've done a bunch, you know, even before the lockout, we saw big moves in Marcus Stroman and uh, Jan Gomes, which was, you know, Phil is a huge need for the Cubs just in terms of that stability in the backup catcher spot. And then Clint Frazier, who could be the, you know, big piece of, of this team moving forward, or at least this year. And then obviously since the lockout, it's a lot of depth pieces, you know, say Suzuki was a huge signing overall. Um, and yeah, you know, they a lot of veteran arms in the bullpen, a lot of young guys coming up like Ethan Roberts and stuff. So we'll see how, how those guys kind of, kind of mesh together. Um, and you know, some veteran starting pitching and, and that's what this year's all going to be about is just pitching depth overall. And the Cubs have a lot of it. They gained a lot of it this, this off season. And they just have some, some intriguing guys uh, now in the position player group as well. So it's been a busy off season, which is, Interesting, given that there was a 99-day lockout in there. Um, but, yeah, overall, the Cubs, I think, have have added just a ton of depth to this roster. Were you surprised at how active they were? Yes and no. Um, definitely surprised in just how many names we saw, um, but not surprised when you sit back and think about it and you have the benefit of hindsight to realize, like, oh, that guy makes sense. Oh, that guy makes sense. That guy makes sense. And then just especially as you see how injuries come out, you know, Edward Alzali is is obviously unavailable for probably the first couple months of the season. We're not 100% sure what his timeline will be. You know, it turned out that Wade Miley, an offseason acquisition, is not available. But then Stephen Brault, he was a signing. He was originally on a big league deal, came in with a triceps injury, went to a minor league deal. Cubs still needed more pitching after that. Cody Hoyer was going to be a big part of the bullpen, had Tommy John during a lockout. So it's like, all these things, you know, they kind of had to backfill on the fly, but I think we always knew they were going to sign a, a free agent um, or just add to the shortstop depth in general. And sort of being able to do that with Andrewton Simmons and then having a guy like Jonathan VR, left-handed bat, you know, switch hitting bat, but just can hit left-handed on a very right-handed heavy infield can play all over. So really all you look around and it's like all these moves make a lot of sense. And then coupled with the injury factor, I think they just have made even more sense. So Definitely surprised by the sheer number of it, but not surprised um, because I think there's a fit for all of these guys. What should all these moves prove to Cubs fans? I think that that this year is going to be an interesting year. You know, I, I think there's so many different ways that that this can play out. Like the Cubs wouldn't make these moves if they had zero intentions of competing this year. They do. Jed Hoyer has always said that. David Ross has always said that. They do obviously intend to compete. Now, you know, apart from Stroman and Suzuki, there were no major long-term commitments a part of that. I think Jan Gomes' two years, you know, guaranteed it is one of the biggest uh, deals that they that they obviously put out there. But, you know, I, I think identifying core pieces is a big thing of this. And, and we'll see. Clint Frazier could certainly be that. You know, Stephen Brault's only 30 years old when he gets healthy. Um, you know, some of these other relievers should have a few years left. Like Michael Givens is only 32 and um, so, so we'll see like how this all plays out. We'll see if these guys can become a part of the future, but it definitely signals the Cubs fans that 
the way the roster was after the trade deadline last year was not the way it's going to be moving forward. And it's not the way that Jed and Carter Hawkins and the rest of the Cubs front office would like it to be. So they added, you know, all these veterans and, and, you know, if things don't work out, if things don't, you know, if, if more injury strike or, you know, even with extra playoff spots, the Cubs aren't in the race the way they want to, a lot of these guys should fetch some interesting, uh, you know, an interesting market on, on the trade market. So just to, there's a lot of different options they can go from here. Um, and, you know, I think just overall this season got a lot more interesting with so many of these new guys, particularly Stroman and Suzuki. Is this a rebuild? A lot of people are confused. Is this still a rebuild based on all these moves that you're telling me about, or are they really going to compete? But what do you think about that? So I don't think it's ever really been a rebuild. Um, I think it's been more of whatever you want to call what the Yankees did in 2016, where you know they sold off Rollis Chapman and Andrew Miller. And, and it's, that's what the Cubs wanted to do. They wanted to retool on the fly, maybe would be a better term or just whatever it is. They always knew that like, the, listen, we have a bunch of guys going towards free agency. We, we want to try to get something back for them. And by all accounts, it looks like they, they got a pretty nice haul for some of these players. They traded away last year and really over just the last like year and a half or so. Um, so, yeah, so I think, you know, I've, but a lot of these prospects are, are far away from the big leagues. They're a couple years away and, you know, Brennan Davis and Caleb Killian are two guys who are like knocking on the door. Um, so in the sense of a rebuild, like you're right, if it was a true rebuild, they wouldn't go out and sign all these veterans. They would give young guys opportunity. They would, they would be, you know, trying to see and evaluate things for the future. I think they're trying to do both things. They're trying to evaluate long-term pieces of the roster, but they're also trying to compete this year. And in this division, I don't see why not. The Brewers have an incredible starting rotation, but I think questions abound throughout the rest of the roster. The Cardinals did nothing this winter apart from signing Steven Matz, and the Reds sold off, signed Tommy Pham. That was about it. Pirates did absolutely nothing too. So, like with the extra roster, or um, sorry, extra playoff spots, and just the division in general. I think the Cubs, there is a, a definite path to see how this could all click, come together, and they ended up in the playoffs. And again, you know, if it didn't, if it doesn't, you know, there's there's still pieces they could trade and, and acquire, you know, younger prospects in return and then still identify pieces for the future. So I think it's possible to do both things, and that's what I think they've always wanted to do all along. Do you expect a playoff appearance right now? Um. I don't know. That's a good question. I, I, I definitely can see a possibility like I just talked about. Um, I do think admittedly that quite a few things need to go right in order for that to happen. And we've already seen some of them go wrong, which is just, you know, unfortunate byproduct of injuries. It, it happens, you know, this Edward Alzali injury is a little worrisome because he's had a lat injury in the past and it cost him most of the um, 2018, 2019 season. Like, I forget which one it was, but it cost him about three, four months of that season. So it's going to cost him a bunch of time here again. He was going to be a huge part of the pitching staff. Same with Cody Hoyer. And then obviously, you know, when the Cubs acquired Wade Miley and initially Stephen Brault, those those pair of veteran lefties were going to be a part of the pitching staff as well. None of those four guys, you know, we'll see probably in April. Um, you know, we definitely won't see Hoyer this year. Who knows about Alzali uh, or just when his timetable would be. Same with Brault. I mean, he's not even throwing yet. And Wade Miley is, is in, the, you know, in the midst of a 10-day shutdown. So it'd be hard-pressed to see him before May. So if more injuries strike, you know, it would be a lot more difficult. But, you know, in terms of, like, the glass half full, the way I see a playoff appearance possible is I think David Ross is a fantastic manager who gets the most out of players, who rallies players and motivates players. 
And I think this offense was really interesting last year down the stretch with some, with some of these guys. And you add to that Nick Madrigal, a healthy Nico Horner, Seiya Suzuki, see what Clint Frazier can be, you know, see what Michael Hermosillo is. Um, I think Frank Schwindel looks legit. I mean, this spring he's looked really good. His teammates, including Marcus Stroman, have raved about him. Um, and, and, you know, I just see like this offense doesn't have the star power that Cubs offensive have had in the past, but you could see a level of success. They have a nice blend of contact and power and all these different things. Um, and then the pitching staff as well, they have starter depth. They're obviously adding Stroman pairing with Hendricks is huge. You get a rebound season from Hendricks, you know, Steele takes another step and this rotation can be pretty solid, but the bullpen is, is really interesting. They have, you know, veterans and some of these young guys like Ethan Roberts coming up and, and more on the way. And I think this bullpen can be a real weapon for this team. And then, like I said, the division is just not anything to, to really write home about. The Brewers are the clear favorites, I think, by most everybody's uh, projections. But I think there's definitely a path for the Cubs to get there. And, and I think it's I mean, it's certainly realistic. I don't know if it will happen. I, I, I can't sit here and, and, you know, predict that or project like what is going to play out. But if things break the way the Cubs are hoping they, they will, then, yes, they will certainly be in the running. Tony Andraki here on Sports Talk Chicago. Tony, are fans sleeping a bit too much in the offense? You mentioned a lot of these players, um, the lineup looking the way it is. Are we not expecting too much out of them? They could turn out and surprise everyone. Yeah, I think because it's a bunch of unknowns, right? Like, Seiya Suzuki's a, a great player or was a great player in Japan, but he's a 27-year-old coming to play in the big leagues for the first time, and he has 20 spring training plate appearances total in games facing major league pitching. And some of those were even against, you know, relievers who won't necessarily crack opening day rosters. So yeah, there's a big unknown, but to me with Suzuki in particular, I just think that he's been impressive and I think he, um, all of his skills translate. And so that's a big bat that you add to the lineup. I think Frank Schwindel is real. I think, you know, everything he's done is legit. Um, You know, I think he is out to prove people wrong, but I think what he did last year, you know, I'm not necessarily expecting him to hit 320 or 330 for the rest of his career, but his blend of contact and, and speed and, or sorry, contact and power is, is enticing. And I think it's legit. Patrick Wisdom obviously has power, um, you know, with Jonathan VR here, then the Cubs could potentially form a platoon at third base as well um, and match Wisdom up against the kind of pitchers they see. And yeah, you know, I mean, you still got a veteran like Hayward who, you know, a couple of years ago in the 2020 short season had his best offensive year with the Cubs. So, you know, he's, he's obviously done it before, can do it again, work through a variety of injuries. I think he was on the IL four different times last year. So he's healthy now, you know, see where some of these other guys, like obviously Ian Happ um, really turned a corner down the stretch last year. If he can carry that over for the entire season, you know, and then blend in with Nick Madrigal, who is, you know, basically doesn't strike out and uses the whole field and, to see, I, I think Clint Frazier is, is a really underrated part of this roster because he was a top prospect, this phenom coming up. And if he gets playing time in the outfield and in uh, at the DH spot, I think he's definitely a guy who can be a factor for maybe even in the middle of this lineup for this season. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think that people are sleeping too much on it. They don't see the big names. But overall, this offense has the type of diversity that Jed Hoyer and and Theo Epstein have been talking about for the last few years, what they've been striving to do. What excites you about their rotation? I think just the, um, to use the word again, the, the diversity of it. Because last year, 
it was basically right. It, I mean, it was right-handers with the exception of Justin Steele. There was righty, righty, righty. And, you know, there were so many guys who had such a similar type of profile, like Zach Davies, Kyle Hendricks, Alec Mills are all pretty similar pitchers. And then Jake Arrieta and Trevor Williams come in and, you know, they're not huge swing and miss guys and they weren't lighting up radar guns. And so you, you broke camp with five righties who had a somewhat similar uh, profile and, and teams were able to game plan against it. Now we know how that kind of worked out for each individual guy, but I think I, I definitely believe in a, in a bounce back for Kyle Hendricks. I absolutely think that what, what we saw from him, you know, April was just a bad month, but then what we saw from him down the stretch was an aberration. And I think he's going to get a lot more back to, you know, back to the guy who was that middle of the season who rattled off like 16 or 17 quality starts in a row. Like, I think that's who he is. Stroman is obviously legit. We've seen what he can be. He is a Cy Young contender. He is this really interesting um, person who has, uh, you know, this, this amazing like knowledge of the game, but also like, you know, thinks about things a lot and he's very cerebral and he can impact younger pitchers. I mean, Ethan Roberts has a tattoo of Stroman on his arm and stuff. So like (laughs) there's a lot of, he can have an impact, I believe just even beyond the fact that he pitches and then Justin Steele flashed his potential last year. So, I mean, you had him and Drew Smiley, we know what he can do. He's, he's been around for a while and, you know, stable veteran, but if Smiley's your force number four starter, and then when Wade Miley gets back, he's maybe your number four or five, like, that's a pretty good rotation. And then you got Keegan Thompson, Alec Mills as, as backups, you know, a guy like Mark Leiter Jr. in the minors who has some swing and miss stuff. Like there, this is, I, I think similar to the offense, it's a, it's a rotation that I think can surprise people. And I think also because of the defense, you know, once Simmons gets back and is healthy, this defense can be really good, especially on ground balls. And they have a, a quite a few ground ball pitchers between Hendricks and Stroman and Alec Mills. So I think it, it's it's a rotation that if everything clicks and everybody stays healthy, I, I believe will absolutely be in the top half in the National League and could be you know pushing like top five. Do you think they may go to a six man rotation down the road if everybody gets healthy? Yeah, it's possible. I think it's more likely that we'll see um, that we'll see a five man rotation with guys like Mills or Keegan Thompson in the bullpen as like longer relief outings as piggyback options. But really right now the Cubs are taking it like a two week stretch at a time. They're envisioning the first two weeks of the regular season. Like it's the last two weeks of a normal spring training, given the shortened camp They're they're not going to roll out relievers on a bunch of back-to-backs because I don't think any of these guys have worked a back-to-back yet. Even Jesse Chavez, who has like a rubber arm, you know, none of these guys have pitched on back-to-back days. So that won't happen for the first couple of weeks of the season. The Cubs will need length. They'll need guys to be able to, to eat innings from the bullpen. And I think once Wade Miley returns, that'll still be the case. You know, even if we're talking about May, June, July, plus more injuries are going to happen. You know, guys are going to go on the IL. Again, we'll see when Alzali might be able to return. But I, I don't see a six-man rotation here this year. Um, I think if they were going to do it last year made a lot more sense, and they never really pulled the trigger on that. Um, until the end of the season. So I, I would I would project more of a five-man rotation right now. Who's your X factor in the rotation? It's got to be Steele for me. I, I, he, from the left side, a guy who can throw 95, who has, you know, kind of wipe out stuff. He's been working on his changeup and feeling really good about it. And then just listening to Stroman. I mean, he's been talking to Stroman a lot. He's obviously been able to learn from Hendricks the last couple of years. But I think everything that Stroman has 
been through in his career can help a guy like Steele so much. A guy who was a former top prospect, then was injured, kind of broke into the big leagues a little bit later in his career. But, you know, 26, 27 years old, like he still has a lot of potential, a lot of innings left. And you know, he did show down the stretch, I think, what he can do in the rotation. Um, and, you know, I think he's he's a guy that he has just a different repertoire than everybody else because of that velocity, because of the swing and miss stuff, um, you know, just the ability to like pitch with emotion and 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 live off and thrive off of big moments. So, yeah, he's the X factor for me. And I, I don't think he's somebody that a lot of people outside of, you know, maybe Cubs fans or, or just Chicago in general are really picking to be a, a major force this year. But I think he will be. And I think he's going to be a guy who, you know, as your number two, number three starter, like is certainly uh, as good as some of the two and three starters around the rest of the league. What about the lineup too? Who are you really expecting to maybe break out or look forward to for this year? Yeah, it goes back to Frazier, who I said before, I, I think at Frazier, this, this could be the breakout that everybody's been thinking since he was this prospect coming out of high school. And, you know, he was this top 10, top 20 prospect in the game. And as he was coming up through the, the Cleveland and, and Yankee system, and I mean, he was the main piece in that Andrew Miller trade in 2016 that the Yankees had. And, um, you know, he never, he never really got an opportunity in New York because they had a crowded outfield. They were competing for a spot, but then just his, his head injuries and his, you know, concussion issues and version um, vertigo and vision issues that he had last year. He says he's healthy now. He feels good. He, he lost some weight and, and worked out, hard in the offseason he was joking the other day about wanting to steal 30 bases and you know he has good speed he can do that but his bat speed is legit he has a great eye at the plate you know he, he can whip that bat through the zone and keep it in the zone for a long time and he has you know got to get power but also just home run power so I think he's only 27 he's still under team control for three years like if he can make good on this if he truly is healthy he's definitely somebody to watch that could be like a big part of this Cubs team moving forward. If everything clicks like the way I think it could. More to come with Tony and in just a moment. Stay tuned. Ben Shands, Sports Talk Chicago. Tony and still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Tony, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, what do you like most about Seiya Suzuki? His sense of humor. He He's a great guy to get to know. And even with the language barrier, for that to come out, I think is really powerful. And it just kind of shows how strong his sense of humor is. So, you know, he joking about getting beer poured on him uh, from Wrigley Field if he keeps striking out by the fans. Or uh, I was joking with him the um, Monday it was – about because he hit Justin Steele in live BP on a comebacker and he had hit uh, Cubs prospect Anderson Espinosa earlier in camp on a comebacker. And I was joking, are you looking forward to going to to the regular season now? You won't have to face your own teammates and you won't have to risk hitting them with liners. And he just laughed and like, you know, and he joked that, yes, he's definitely looking forward to that and how much, you know, how bad he felt about it. But, you know, he he's able to 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 portray that sense of humor, even with the language barrier, I think is, is powerful. And, you know, just some of the interactions he's had with Cubs players and you ask a, you ask anybody, you know, Ross coaching staff players about him and their face just lights up. So he seems to be this, this really intriguing guy, both as a person with his personality and then on the field, his, I, I think he, his play discipline, his like zone judgment this early in his big league career, just in spring training, 
I think it's looked really good. And his timing is there. Everything's up the middle of the last couple of days of spring training. His power is legit. I mean, the ball just jumped off his bat for those two homers and he uses the whole field. So, I mean, you know, he's a guy that like, I've seen some of these projections for him that, you know, like a high, high 300 on base percentage, like 370 range, you know, over 500 for slugging. Like that's the dream, but I don't think it's a, it's an outlandish dream. I think it's possible. I think he has that pop. He has speed. He's a good defender in right field, but he has, he's patient and he doesn't strike out a lot. Like he's a guy that once he settles in fully, will probably have about as many walks as strikeouts. That's how that's, and that's the, the scouting report on him, but that's also what I've seen from him in just a little bit of spring training so far. So we'll see, you know, we'll see when he faces guys like Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff and stuff like that, but definitely a really interesting aspect. Um, And he's here for five years. So somebody the Cubs can Cubs fans can learn and grow with and, and, you know, begin to love and wear 27 jerseys all around Wrigleyville. And Tony, before we finish up today, last question, how do you do taking BP at Wrigley? Uh, not so great. Yeah. My timing is not down just like Seiya's. Um, you know, I, I, it's been a little bit for me. I played last summer, um, and did okay, but yeah, the results were not good. Uh, but I will say I didn't swing and miss at all. I did not get hurt and I took batting practice on Wrigley field. So like how upset can I be? So I had one liner towards the shortstop. So I got one ball out of the infield. Um, but yeah, no, it was, uh, it was definitely a little disappointing. I did some of the Willie Mays Hayes uh, pop it up into the batting cage and that turtle a couple times and hit some uh, some choppers like back towards the pitcher and then started to lock it in a little bit. Um, but yeah, wish I would have done a little bit better. I knew I wasn't going to put one out. I knew I wasn't going to hit the Budweiser sign in right field, but it was just an amazing experience to be there, to take batting practice, like this bucket list item to check off. So it was very cool. Did you use the whole field at least? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay. I, I was trying to pull everything. I was a little bit ahead of stuff. I think I actually might have even chopped the ball foul um, because I was that far ahead of like my first swing. So yeah, I was, uh, my timing just wasn't where I wanted it to be. I'm normally a whole field, you know, right uh, center, right center type of guy. And this was not, I was, you know, I was dead pull uh, yesterday when I took swings. So bad approach, you know, that's on me. Um, I got to get better at that. I got to work on that. And I'll get in the cage and look at the film and see how it goes. Well, Tony, thank you so much for joining me. Best wishes for this season. Should be a good one. Looking forward to the next time we chat, too. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Great talk there with Tony Andraki. That'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Tony Andraki himself, Matt Dubiel, WCKG, Jim DeTalman, to Marlboro Entertainment for making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook. John Zagluel, you can watch more of this show. Search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, sportstalkchicago.com. Another great show comes with tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe. So long, everyone. No! No! We're the turtles!